This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Hello and welcome. I'm Tiffany Trader, Managing Editor of HPC Wire, and joining me today is Jean-Marc Denis, Chief of Staff in the Innovation and Strategy Division at Atos Bull and Chair of the Board of the European Processor Initiative, EPI. John Mark will be one of the featured speakers at ISC 2021, taking place virtually June 24th to July 2nd. Hi, John Mark. Welcome. Hi, Tiffany. I'm very, very pleased to be with you today. Um, thank you very much for the invitation. Wonderful. Can you start by briefly sharing about the nature of your work at Atos and also what your role as chair of the EPI involves? Yes, for sure. So I'm Atos, I'm working in the R&D division where I'm in charge of uh, uh, thinking about the future technologies we have to develop in the next uh, three to five years. So in this role, uh, I've been asked many years ago to think about uh, a very, let's say, crazy and innovative project at European level, uh, which was to think about uh, having in Europe a microprocessor specifically designed for supercomputers. And this is how, when uh, the European Commission launched the uh, European Processor Initiative, I took the initiative of, in behalf of ETHOS, to answer to the procurement, and then we've been selected. And this is how uh, ETHOS became coordinator of the project, and I became the chair of the project. And I believe EPI launched in 2018. Can you uh, tell us about what are the high-level goals of EPI? Yes, that's correct. We started the project at the end of 2018. And the overall, um, the overall objective of the project is in two different areas. At first, we have short-term objectives, which is to deliver to EuroHPC the uh, microprocessors that should be in the European exascale supercomputers. So for that, we have to address uh, the demand of one customer, EuroHPC, with a product, so with high rank TRL, so six to nine. And we have a second overall objective, which is to start developing in Europe our own intellectual property that will be based on RICS-5 in order that over the decade before 2030, we could deliver to the European Union an HPC microprocessor 100% designed in Europe with European intellectual property inside. So that will be with low rank uh, TRL. So one of the complexity of the project, this is to combine the short-term objectives with the long-term objectives. What is the relationship between EPI and EuroHPC? We are partners. We have uh, signed in uh, 2018, at the beginning of the year, a framework partnership agreement between the EPI consortium and, at that time it was DigiConnect, and now it's moved to EuroHPC. So we are partners uh, working together toward a unique goal, which is to deliver to Europe European technology for supercomputers. Okay, and can you talk about the, the expected timeline for uh, development and readiness? Oh yes, for sure. So I mentioned for the short-term objective, the goal is to deliver 
an HPC microprocessor for the European exascale systems. So the timeline for the European exascale systems is not finalized yet. It's not announced yet, but it's going to be likely after the, the launch of all the, the pre-exascale systems that will be uh, that will be installed and put in production in 21-22. So it's likely that the first uh, European exascale supercomputer will be uh, delivered by 2023, and the second one maybe one year later or maybe 18 months later, something like that. So the goal for API is to have the first product ready to be delivered in volume uh, in 2022. And the Rhea ARM chip is a, is a key component here. Could you tell, what, what can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, this is definitely a key component because that will be the first, uh, hopefully, the first success of uh, European processor initiative because the Rhea processor uh, that is uh, uh, manufactured by Cyper, which is the industrial hand for EPI, uh, is based on the ARM Neoverse V1 core. Uh, and this is the, the technology that will be in the, in the European exascale supercomputers in 2023. But we don't only have this uh, first uh, microprocessor on our roadmap. Obviously, we are thinking for the next years with EPI about the second generation. And we start thinking also about the third generation beyond. But for the, for the long-term objective we have set, having over the decade our own technology based on RIGS-5, while we don't have products to, uh, to announce yet, we already are uh, testing our own technology in 22 nanometer on test chip, where we are going to prove that the key IPs that we are developing based on RIGS-5 can work. And uh, we are announcing those days, and this is uh, a press release made by uh, Barcelona Supercomputing Center, that uh, some of the key IP will be, has been tapped out and will be uh, available in the next months to prove the quality of the technology. And we have a lot of expectations for the next years around what we are doing on EPI, complementary with RIGS-5 in our first step. And then later on, we will slowly switch from, um, uh, uh, from ARM to RIGS-5. But don't get me wrong, the fact that RIA, the first microprocessor, is based on ARM Neoverse V1, doesn't mean there is no RIGS-5 inside. We already have many RIGS-5 elements on IP on the course in the RIA microprocessor. For instance, in RIA, we have 29 RIGS-5 cores on the chip, not for computing, but for different components that we need for making the chip efficient and working well, for power management, for, let's say, traffic management, and so on and so forth. So we already have a smart combination of ARM technology with RIGS-5 technology. This is why I don't think that when people claim there is some kind of uh, opposition or fight between ARM and RIGS-5, 
this is, uh, this is appropriate because it's totally complementary on the, the, the most efficient way to work is the one we have chosen. This is to combine both in the same developments and in the same products. What are, what are the next steps for EPI now? Uh, the next big steps for us, this is uh, obviously to, uh, to prove uh, with uh, the, the, the RIX-5 test achieved at first. And in the second step, this is to deliver the rare microprocessor on time for the European exascale supercomputers. Uh, so I would say this is very operational, very concrete. We, we are also preparing in parallel the second, the second financial round of the European Processor Initiative. We are finalizing that with uh, EuroHPC and we will start the second financial uh, round of EPI in November this year for, with the second generation of uh, general purpose processor and with, uh, with more complex RIX-5 components likely uh, in accelerators. Right, and as you work to achieve these uh, big goals at the, the top of the supercomputing stack, how do these technologies uh, and advances filter to the industry? Are the needs of commercial computing aligned with the needs of uh, research and scientific computing and in, in what ways? Yeah, this is, a, this is a very good question because uh, if we just develop for HPC, that would be, uh, let's say, uh, a fantastic technology showcase that there will be no business consequence on the long term. HPC on its own is, is not large enough for uh, developing a, a very complex microprocessor with the crazy cost of developing in five nanometers on the future three nanometers or even below. So we need to have a side market, more business oriented, more volume oriented, where we can produce very significant volume of microprocessors to make the, the economical model sustainable over time. So uh, when we have launched the EPI, we thought that autonomous vehicles, not only um, automotive, but autonomous vehicles could be a, a great side market with millions of units. But over time, uh, we, we are seeing the complexity for developing such devices in terms of security, in terms of safety, in terms of uh, environmental constraints, of power consumption. And we, we observe that the edge market is growing, is not growing, is booming. It's, uh, it's becoming a massive market. So by chance, what we started to develop with um, the automotive and uh, autonomous vehicle market can be reused almost with no change for the uh, edge market and more, more specifically for the infrastructure edge market and for data center. So now for the next years, the focus in terms of uh, business or volume will be much more on infrastructure edge and uh, on data center. Mm. So speaking about uh, some of these trends here, uh, what, are, what are some of the other big and interesting trends that you're seeing in HPC and in what ways are they uh, driving architectural changes? Yeah, huh. 
So this is my opinion. Uh, obviously, the, uh, I, I could be uh, I could be challenged on it. So at first, I believe that the 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 era of monolithic machines, like the ones that we are going to to see in the big labs in the US, is behind us. This is fantastic architecture and fantastic machines. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's monolithic in the sense that all compute nodes in the machine are the same. Okay, it's a, it's a heterogeneous inside the node with a, a CPU and an accelerator, likely a, a GPU. It's a SOC and it's all, but the machine is really homogeneous. And I believe that with the evolution of, uh, of uh, high performance computing, with the, the mix of classical HPC algorithms with artificial intelligence, so theoretical models combined with experimental models, so the equations with the data, we are moving full speed to workflows and to data flows because there will be more and more data coming from IoT, coming from Edge, coming from, uh, from um, yes, from Edge. There will be also hybrid computing with in-house computing combined with cloud computing from AWS, from, uh, from Microsoft Azure, and so on and so forth. So uh, supercomputer operators have to, um, to combine all of them together. So should one, one SOC on one machine or one compute node address all needs? No way. I don't believe that at all. I believe that the, at first the European exascale machines on the future post-exascale machines will be modular. That will be a collection of different modules, each of them being homogeneous. But the machine as a, as a whole will be a combi combination of totally different modules addressing the different, uh, the different stages or the different, the different steps in the workflow or in the data flow. You could have a general purpose module with exclusively general purpose uh, processors. You could have a, a, a module containing a CPU with a GPU, another one CPU with FPGA, yet another one with, uh, with a CPU on a neuromorphic device, and yet another one with uh, a quantum accelerator, and so on and so forth. So that would be very complex. Huh? for uh, supercomputer designers, on operators, on developers, on then users, because they will have to, uh, to manage all the different accelerators and CPU. So if we want to reduce the complexity as a community, at least we can plug the different accelerators to only one CPU model. So the one that will be, let's say, the unification component for all the different accelerators. And I, I'm claiming that the best way to, to have a single CPU is not to consider an instruction set. This is to consider the architecture of the CPU. It has to be, uh, let's say, a data hub, a massive data hub with many, many, many PCI Express, CXL lanes, with HBM, with DDR, and with a lot of flexibility to combine all of that together. 
obviously it has to address all the 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 the, the HPC applications that will never fit in uh, in in accelerators. There are many algorithms, and we have the legacy from the past. We have many applications have been developed over the last 40 years, even more. So should we move all the applications, the, the tens of millions of lines of code to accelerators? I don't believe that. I believe that the CPU has to deliver uh, good enough HPC performances and that will, and it has to, uh, uh, it has to, to drive, to pilot, the, the many different accelerator classes will have in a modular architecture. So the global architecture will be mod modular. The CPU has to be uh, a data integrator, a data orchestrator for the many different accelerators. And because it has to be hybrid, it has to be hybrid between in-house computing and cloud computing, I believe that the long-term direction will be toward arm because we see today the cloud operators moving to arm uh, we see what aws has done with graviton 2 we see we see ampere um, that is becoming uh, very important in in the in cloud computing we don't know what's going to uh, to be delivered by by microsoft but maybe it could be with arm as well so arm is becoming very important for cloud operators. And we also observe that in IoT, in edge computing, ARM is dominant. So to, to keep the complexity low and to have a seamless data flow from IoT to cloud on supercomputers, I believe that the, the best way to go, at least for the next five years, will be to go with ARM. And then what's, be, what's beyond, I don't know. I hope it's going to be rix because we are doing a lot around RIX-5 in Europe for the future, but no one can predict what, what will be the future beyond, uh, let's say, 2026, 2027. Mm -hmm. uh, and what, what is your view of the role of the, the chiplet approach in the, in the coming mm -hmm. age of, of modularity that you envision? So where you connect together the, the different dyes in the, in the same package, what would you yeah. uh, say are the main advantages of or possibly limitations of that? Um, so I, I only see advantages, <laughs> not many limitations. Maybe a few, but not, not so many, and they are very, uh, let's say, uh, uh, marginal considering all the advantages. The very first advantage of using uh, many different chiplets is at the, at the silicon level. We can combine different uh, manufacturing process for, let's say, uh, uh, an iodide, you don't need to um, to manufacture in three nanometers. While for an advanced compute die, delivering high frequency and lots of performance, going to three nanometers could make sense. But you can you can already do do. This is the first gain. Use the right manufacturing process for the right, uh, let's say, uh, 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 feature in in the in the CPU. You could, you could play like with Lego, where you combine different uh, dice, uh, delivering different features, you package them together, and then boom, you've got a new product. Uh, don't get me wrong, this is not something you can do over the night. Huh? It's expensive, it's a complex industrial process, uh, 
from engineering to manufacturing, onto package, onto integration, that takes a minimum nine to 12 months to, um, to, to make that, uh, that chiplet integration together. But at least this is achievable on the cost for doing that is marginal compared to the cost of delivering a totally new CPU for delivering a new feature. So you, you can address the complexity if you can uh, anticipate long enough in advance your future need, at least 12 months. And you also need to have some significant volume for the specific component you want to develop using chiplets because you need to absorb the cost of development of manufacturing. The one-fits-all approach uh, doesn't, doesn't fit with a multiple chiplet uh, approach. So this is uh, advantages on that as long there is an industrial market and volume behind. I, I also see uh, that's a bit technical in terms of manufacturing process, lots of advantages in terms of yield in production. Because if you have many different, many small chiplets, then the yield in production for the chiplet uh, is, um, is, is improved for, 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 the, for the die itself. Huh? So uh, having a higher yield uh, reduce the manufacturing cost. While if you have only a monolithic big chiplet, then the yield in production is reduced and the cost is much higher. So this is yet another advantage at the financial level to move to, to chiplets. Mm. And on the drawback of chiplets, to, 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 to address this question in a in couple of seconds, is that obviously you need to, to have communication between the chiplet. So you need to develop specific protocol to, to connect chiplet to chiplet. So you, you could have a, a bit reduced bandwidth and a bit uh, increased latency. That could be the, the drawback of the of using multiple chiplets. And we're already seeing the chiplet approach being taken to the next level, somewhat literally, right? Moving into uh, the third dimension. There was news recently from AMD that they're announcing an approach starting with the, the vertical 3D cache that stacks on the, the top of the die. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? That's... Um... That's a big achievement to, to announce commercial products uh, based on this technology. It's very innovative. And um, this is a direction where the whole industry is, uh, is going to. So um, this is a, a first, uh, let's say, first product that will be available. And I believe that uh, we will all, I mean, when I say we, I mean the whole semiconductor industry, we, we will all move to this direction. So AMD has been very innovative in this area, for sure. And your upcoming talk at ISC will be focusing on a lot of the topics we just discussed with the transition from uh, existing homogenous uh, to future modular architectures. That talk is the future supercomputers are game changers for processor architecture. Why? That'll be on Tuesday, June yes. 29th. Uh, John Mark Denis, uh, EPI Chair, thank you so much for joining me today. We, we look forward to your ISC talk. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a great pleasure to be with you today. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. 
For more information, visit intersect360.com.